The Psalms are a well-worn collection of songs, hymns, and prayers that speak to the human experience. Life is not a level path. In this world, we will experience joy, sorrow, anger, shame, love, jealousy, hope, and more. Emotions are a gift and a part of our God-given design. But how do we direct these emotions and keep our eyes fixed on God in the highs and lows of life? King David authored many psalms, and we will learn how to steward our lives well in the highest highs and the lowest lows as we study through some of his greatest hits. Well, good morning, church. You can turn with me to Psalms chapter 23. That's where we're going to be this morning as we continue in this series. We're calling a summer mixtape, looking at some of David's greatest hits through the Psalms. If you were with us last week, we were just a chapter before where we're at today in chapter 22 as we got to see this beautiful prophetic psalm that speaks to the Messiah that would come, the good shepherd that would come and die for his sheep. As we looked at that cross of Christ that he would bear on our behalf, and we saw the beautiful imagery with this crimson worm and how it pointed to what Jesus would do for us. And well, this morning we're jumping into another shepherd's psalm, Psalms 23. You can follow along with me in your Bibles. If you don't have one, there should be some in the rows, or you can just look on the screen. We'll pull up the scriptures there for you as well. But here's what we read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word this morning, as we look at this psalm of David, this shepherd's psalm, God, we pray that you would speak to your people. Lord, there are so many voices in the world right now that are crying for our attention, but God, the one voice we desire to hear from this morning is yours. So would you speak to your people? Would we respond and apply those things that you reveal to us? And would you be glorified in our lives? Would they bear much fruit for you? And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, if you're taking notes and you want to write down a title this morning, you can write this down. The Great Shepherd of Your Soul. The Great Shepherd of of your soul. Now we're looking at Psalm 23 today, and of all 150 psalms that you have in your Bible, there is no psalm more quoted, more recited, 
more inscribed on cards or on the walls in houses than this psalm we have here this morning. In fact, of all the Old Testament in your Bible, this is the most famous passage we have. In fact, even those, I'd be willing to bet, who have never stepped foot in a church or have never owned a Bible have heard and are familiar with this psalm. It was St. Augustine who called this psalm the martyr's hymn because of the many Christian martyrs that would recite this psalm as they were walking towards their death for their faith. In fact, I'm sure many of you have heard this psalm used in memorials to bring comfort and encouragement to the loss of a loved one. In part, it's because of that line we read in verse 4, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And this is a fitting scripture to use for such an occasion as a memorial. But it is crucial this morning as we approach God's word that we realize there are five other verses in this chapter as well that have less to do with when you die and more to do with how you live today. This wasn't a psalm to be left on our tombstones. This is a psalm to be written on our hearts, to be applied every morning, to be meditated on, that it might bear fruit in our lives. And as we begin this morning, we must remember the audience to whom these verses were written. These were people, simple people, nomadic people, with upbringings very familiar, both with nature and outdoor living around the countryside, around them. They didn't have cars. They weren't talking about technology. There was no Safeway and there was no Starbucks. It was a very different time. They weren't talking in Bitcoin and social media terms. No, they were talking in livestock and crops and land and wildlife, the nature and creation around them, and how they were stewarding it and preparing the land. And with the exception of those of you in here today who may have been raised on a farm or have gone through FFA, this is probably foreign language to a lot of us, which means as we approach a text like Psalm 23, a shepherd's psalm, written by a shepherd. We need to take off our our Western mindset as city folk and put on the mindset of the author and his intended audience. He begins with a very strong statement that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. From the very beginning of this psalm, we're told two things that exist within all of humanity. Identity and ownership. First, he declares that the Lord is his shepherd, and by default, if he is your shepherd, that makes you his sheep. And then he speaks to the ownership that it is the Lord that is his shepherd. By making this statement, it tells us something. That's not by default the case. This is a decision that he has made. It's a decision we all have to make of whom it is 
that is our shepherd. But first, this identity as a sheep. It's no accident that we've been referred to as sheep within Scripture. In fact, more than 200 times in your Bible, God's people are referred to as sheep. And that's because in more ways than we are probably comfortable with mentioning, we are very similar to sheep. Sheep are fearful animals. Sheep are stubborn animals. Sheep are helpless animals. Sheep are foolish animals. Should I stop there? It's true no matter how much we want to be likened to a lion within Scripture, more than any other animal we are referred to as sheep. Why is it important that we get this this morning as we begin? Because we, when we see ourselves rightly in light of this as sheep, as helpless, stubborn, fearful, and foolish animals, then we will understand the importance of having a trustworthy and capable shepherd over us. The lion doesn't need protection. It's the king of the jungle, but the sheep does. The lion doesn't need provision, but the sheep does. The lion doesn't need help, but the sheep does. The lion has no shepherd, but the sheep does. They cannot be left alone to care for themselves. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, but sheep require more care than any other livestock. But here's what's so beautiful about Psalm 23. David, a shepherd himself, who penned this psalm, he knows sheep. He knows their weaknesses. He knows their foolishness. He knows how stubborn they are. And yet, this isn't a psalm of how needy the sheep are or of how much trouble they can get themselves into. Though both of those things are true. This is a psalm about how great the shepherd is and how blessed the life is of the sheep who are under the great shepherd's care. So let me ask you this morning as we begin, who is your shepherd? It's clear we need one. And who is in that position of leadership and guidance over your life will have a direct impact on the care and outcome of your life. David begins with a confident answer to this question of who is the shepherd in his life by declaring, first and foremost, it is the Lord that is my shepherd. And he doesn't make the statement, the Lord is our shepherd. This is a personal decision. The Lord is my shepherd. It's relational, it's personal, and it's a decision every single one of us has to make. And the result of David choosing the Lord as his shepherd is seen as follows, I shall not want. There are many shepherds you can choose that will always leave you wanting more, needing more, because they are insufficient to shepherd your soul. But David declares here that the Lord is his shepherd, and the direct result of that is I shall not want. 
He is satisfied. He is content. He is at peace because it is the Lord who is his shepherd. Does this mean to say that if Jesus is our shepherd, we will never have trying times? That we will never have times of little or even possibly none? No, David himself could tell you he's experienced times where there was a lack and times when there was an abundance of times of great peace and times of war, of times when he could rest and times when he was on the run. And yet he could still confidently declare, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One commentator says what he's doing here is both a declaration and a decision. It's a declaration in that he is saying, all my needs are supplied for in Jehovah Jireh, my great shepherd, the Lord who is my provider. Everything I truly need, he has met. He has provided for. But it is also a decision to be content in and not desire more than what the Lord has seen I need. So it's a declaration that everything I truly need in life, God has given me. And I'm going to decide moving forward to be content in what he has provided for me. A declaration and a decision. We also see Paul speak to this kind of decision and declaration in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, when he says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't you love how beautiful Philippians 4.13 is in its direct context? When it's not telling me that I can go and do impossible things that the Lord's never asked me to do, but it's reminding me that in this context of contentment, no matter what I face, I can be content in all circumstances through Christ who strengthens me, our good shepherd who provides for our needs. But he moves on here to show just how the Lord provides for him, just how the Lord demonstrates that. What is the fruit of that in his life? He moves on with this context of the Lord as our great shepherd, of us as his sheep to say, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Remember the context. This is the Middle East. This doesn't happen by accident. Green pastures. Heck, we're in Auburn. This doesn't happen by accident here. If you have green grass, that's an intentional and deliberate decision. Every dad in here knows the struggle to maintain green grass at their home. Many have fought that battle and many have failed. But here he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. It speaks to the care and the provision of the shepherd for the sheep. But it's also important to note that when it says he makes me to lie down, we need to realize that it is actually almost impossible to make a sheep lie down unless four requirements are met. For a sheep to lie down, it needs to be free from fear. 
If the sheep is scared, if the sheep is uneasy, it will not lie down. It needs to be free from the friction of other sheep. There's a hierarchy within sheep. And when there's friction between them and they can't get along, they're restless and they will not lie down. They need to be free from flies and other pests that will cause such an irritation. They cannot relax. They will not lie down. And the fourth and final thing is that they need to be free from a hunger, from a need to go and find food. They need to be satisfied or they won't lie down. And all of a sudden you begin to realize how much we are like sheep. How many times have we lost sleep because of anxiety over a conversation we had that day? Or because of fear of the test or the job that's coming tomorrow? An unknown situation that we really have no control over anyways, but we're losing sleep over this fear of this thing. How often have we lost sleep because of friction within a relationship? Maybe it's a spouse, a close friend, a relative, or or someone else. But it weighs on us, and it keeps us tossing and turning through the night. We lose sleep over it. What about flies and other pests? Now, this might not immediately be an issue that you currently face, but I'm willing to bet if you were to put yourself in the context of the Middle East, especially sleeping outdoors, you would get this a whole lot more. I can remember the first time I visited my friend UJ in Africa. And we got to stay. We weren't sleeping outdoors. We were sleeping in a building. But the bugs were so extreme, they were kind enough to provide nets for us. And you're thinking, okay, so no problem. Until you realize you're just encompassed in a bubble of bugs that is so thick you can barely see through your screen at night. That night was filled with many things, but rest was not one of them. And finally, have you ever struggled to sleep due to hunger? If you have kids at home, you know this all too well. Your child will not sleep if they are hungry. And the way they put in an order at their bedside, it's like their hometown buffet. A cheese stick, some milk, I'd like some water, some yogurt, just the list goes on. But you understand if you're hungry, you're not going to get any sleep. Well, the sheep are the same. They need safety, they need peace, they need quiet, and they need a full stomach to be made to lie down and rest. But here's the thing, they cannot provide those things for themselves. The protection and security from the dangers around them, the resolution of the friction between the sheep, the chemical bath to repel the bugs, And the provision of food to satisfy their hunger, all of these are provided by the shepherd for them. That they might experience that rest. That they might be made to lie down in green pastures. And then I think of what Jesus declared in Matthew 8, I mean, excuse me, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. When he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rest we need, he can provide. Do you have fears in your life, frictions in your relationships, pests 
that bother you and a thirst and a hunger that nothing in this world can satisfy, come to Jesus, the great shepherd of your souls, and he can bring you rest. It's a rest you cannot provide for yourself, but it's a rest that he offers to all who come to him. But we move on. He goes on to say, he leads me beside the still waters. And much like the green pastures, in many cases, these still waters in dry desert places have been carefully manufactured and inspected by the shepherd to ensure the safety of his sheep. If the sheep are thirsty and not provided clean water, they will quickly become restless and set out on our pursuit to find whatever water they can find for themselves. Oftentimes, this can end up being a polluted pothole filled with all sorts of parasites. The thirst is quenched in the moment, but now greater risks exist of the sickness and disease that can result. Jesus made it clear that the souls of men thirst and that they must be quenched. But like sheep, when that thirst has not been satisfied in Christ, our sufficient source of pure and living water, we run to all kinds of polluted pools instead that may in the moment satisfy and quench the thirst, but provide all sorts of long-term damage, pain, and suffering. No, but when we allow the, allow the great shepherd to lead us, he leads us beside still waters. Waters that truly satisfy the soul. Waters like he told the woman at the well would quench that thirst and you would thirst no more. And the result of that, he restores my soul. Now there's an old English shepherd's term for when a sheep has turned over on its back and can't get up. Because you have to understand, this happens with sheep. They'll find a nice little spot to lay down, and as they get comfortable and begin to try and stretch out their legs a little, sometimes they'll turn over, and when they roll over on their back, there's no getting back up. The sheep will lie there, maybe call for help for a while. But this sheep in this position, on its back rolled over, unable to get up, is called a cast sheep. Or some refer to them a cast-down sheep. It's a very pathetic sight. Perhaps humorous if you're walking by and noticing. But, but as any shepherd would tell you, this can prove to be fatal for the sheep. If the shepherd does not come to that sheep and flip it back over in a relatively short amount of time, gases begin to build up within the stomach of the sheep and expand cutting off circulation to the extremities. And if it's a hot day, this process can prove fatal within just a few hours for a sheep that's been cast down. This is why it is so crucial that the shepherd always keep watch of the flock. Because a sheep cast down has a clock that's ticking. And if he's not quick to find that sheep and to do what they would call restoring that sheep to the upright position, it can quickly turn fatal. The only hope of that cast-down sheep 
is being restored by the shepherd. No other sheep can do it for it. Do you see the message in here? It makes me think of Psalm 4211. And the psalmist writes, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Realize this, the next time you are cast down, the next time you are overwhelmed, the next time you are out of control, that there is a great shepherd that watches his sheep and is there in those times of need to restore your soul. Are you cast down this morning? Do you feel helpless, discouraged, overwhelmed, with no control of your situation? Cry out to the great shepherd who watches his sheep, who can bring you back to that upright position. And he can restore your soul. This was an intimate process. As a shepherd would bring that sheep back up, it was a slow process. He wouldn't rush it. He would slowly bring it back up. And even as he lifts it up, he would stand over it, hold it between his legs as he would rub its extremities to get the blood flowing back into it. It's an intimate process where he slowly begins to bring warmth and life back to that cast down soul and he does the same process in our lives when we come to him where he meets us in that place and he's near to the brokenhearted, and he's a very present help in times of trouble and the warmth of his Holy Spirit brings comfort and life to those places that we thought were all but gone. Hope in God and take heed by the warning of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10:12 when he says therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall beware of getting too comfortable in a moment and not realizing how quickly you can fall and find yourself in a cast down moment he moves on to say he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake Philip Keller, in his phenomenal book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, which I would encourage you, if you want more depth in this chapter, go and read that. But he notes on this statement by David that the greatest single safeguard which a shepherd has in handling his flock is to keep them on the move. May that speak to anybody in here who has found themselves getting complacent in their walk with Christ. Who just wants to sit down and relax and doesn't want to continue to run the race of faith that has been set out before them. Who wants to take a day or a week or a month or a year off. Who wants to just kind of slow down and stop moving. It is the greatest priority. It is the single most important safeguard of the shepherd to keep the sheep moving. And God loves you exactly how you are today, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And he loves you too much to let you just sit down. His desire is to keep you moving from glory to glory in a greater process of sanctification to be made more into his image. There are two dangers in leaving a flock on the same grounds for too long. First, the sheep can overgraze an area, and if they're not allowed to move frequently to new pastures, 
it will bring about impoverished and desolate land that no longer provides that green pasture that the sheep need. But secondly, this constant moving of the sheep to new locations, it prevents the well-worn areas on the path from becoming infested with parasites. When it is left long enough for the parasites to complete their life cycle and begin to infest and waste away the sheep in that land. So the great shepherd, he leads the sheep, knowing that they won't do it on their own. To maintain both healthy sheep, but also a healthy land that they can return to one day and graze once again. And in doing this faithfully, not only is the health of the sheep and the land maintained, but what does it tell us? A good name is given to that shepherd for his diligent and careful care of both his land and his sheep. The Lord, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It brings glory to his name as we are continually made more into his image, as we are continually pushed forward in this race of faith that we might look more like him and less like the world around us. But where does this movement take the sheep? Surely just from green pasture to green pasture to green pasture, right? No, we read here that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel, fear no evil for you are with me. First, I want to draw your attention to the fact that although these valleys of the shadow of death exist, and we will at some time in our lives find ourselves within them, it is important to take note of the fact that David mentions he will lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. Not to. It is not the shepherd's intention to leave his sheep in this dangerous place. No, he plans to lead them through it. Why, you might say, would he bring them there in the first place? Why don't we just avoid the valley of the shadow of death altogether? Let's take the long way around this valley. Let's avoid it at all costs. But the shepherd understands that the good life of those green pastures is often required to pass through times of the valley of the shadow of death. And this is true both in this life and the next There will be mountaintop moments with the Lord, beautiful green pastures that are flourishing and thriving. But there will also be those dark and difficult days when you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death. Likewise, one day when our lease is up on this body, when God repossesses our borrowed time, and we, we all pass through that valley of the shadow of death, we are encouraged that this valley is only a shadow of death and not the substance of it. That is because if we are in the fold of Christ and He is our great shepherd, though we pass through the valley of the shadow of death, we know what awaits us on the other side of this valley. This is simply a passing through from life to greater life. Death is just a shadow as we move into his marvelous light. 
And as David reminds us, there is nothing to fear in this valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because as he writes, for you are with me. The comfort for these sheep, the confidence that David has as he writes these words, is not in the absence of danger, it's in the presence of God. And notice, this is really important, David changes the language here from referring to God in the third person. He, to the second person, you. He leads me beside the still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. But but here he says, as I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you. You are with me. And that is because it is in these dark places, these scary places, and this unknown place in the shadow of death that our dependence and relationship with the shepherd is deepened. I want you to go ahead and guess. Just try and imagine. Do you think the sheep that are terrified of what's lurking in the shadows and are unaware of what's around the next corner are going to move further away from the shepherd or closer in the valley of the shadow of death? Surely it's closer. This morning in those moments when you don't know what's around the next corner, when you don't know what's going to take place tomorrow, when you find yourself in the shadow of death, do you find yourself running further from God or do you find that as a moment that you press in deeper than you ever have before? Because you know the safest place you could possibly be is in the care and protection of God in those moments. Do not despise the walk through this valley. It is there that God's presence is most often sought out, most clearly felt, and most greatly appreciated. In the valley of the shadow of death. In fact, we could look at the life of Job. And it was after the suffering, it was through the trials, it was within the valley that Job himself stated, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, but now my eyes see you. It was in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death after passing through that suffering that now for the first time, God, I see you in a way I've never seen you before. I had heard of you, but now I see you. And it is not only the presence of the shepherd within the valley of the shadow of death It is his protection and care within the valley of the shadow of death that brings this comfort. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The two essentials of every shepherd, a rod and a staff. The rod was essentially a club. And the staff was that crook, that curved stick that they would use. The club was used for protection, both for the shepherd and for his sheep. But one other interesting function of this rod, this club, was that it was used in examining and counting the sheep. We see Scripture speak to it in Ezekiel chapter 20 when it speaks to passing under the rod. And it spoke to more than just being placed under the authority and power or control of the one who possessed it, but it also spoke to being examined by and looked over with great care. 
Because of the wool on a sheep, there are diseases that can take place on the skin that wouldn't easily be seen at first glance. And so the rod would be used to pull back the wool and examine the condition of the skin and the cleanliness underneath that outer surface. Could this be what the psalmist is referring to in Psalm 139, 23 and 24 when when he writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This rod that brings both this protection but also this deeper look into what's going on beneath the surface. And then the staff, the crook, that was used in drawing sheep close to the shepherd and also for guiding the sheep onto the narrow path and a difficult route. It is through the shepherd's protection and his direction with both his rod and his staff that the sheep are comforted even in the valley of the shadow of death. Have you experienced that comfort that comes from knowing God is watching over you intimately even in the most trying of times? Or how about the comfort of knowing that God is protecting you as an omnipotent God that is fully in control even when wicked men arise in authority? And what about that comfort that comes in the reality that he will guide you? And lead you. And though a man's heart plans his ways, it's the Lord that will direct his steps. All these things should bring comfort to the flock of Christ, no matter what dangers or difficulties may await us. And he moves on here to say that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, there are many ways we could view and translate this verse, but if we continue just to look at it in light of the context of the Lord as our shepherd and we, his sheep, we see that the table being spoken of here could likely be the high mountain country above those valleys that's often referred to as table lands or mesas, which is the Spanish word for table. Realize that the shepherd would routinely go to these tablelands, these mesas outside of the valley, before his sheep to prepare the land that they would come to dwell in and graze in. He would search the area for any possible predators, any wolves or bears or lions, to make sure that they're all removed before the sheep get here. He would also look for any poisonous plants and weeds that may exist before the sheep get there and foolishly start to feed on them. He would prepare this place, even in the presence of enemies and threats to his sheep, so that when they come, it is a safe space for them to enter. He was going to prepare a place for them. It demonstrated the shepherd's care, his preparation and his control over every environment that he would allow his sheep to come into. And it also gives us a beautiful picture of the way the Lord goes before us in our lives. That there is nowhere we will go, no situation we will come into that the Lord has not seen, that he has not prepared, and that he is not present in with us. This doesn't mean there will never be 
difficulty or danger. Predators return. Poisonous plants grow back. Storms in life happen. But we view those in light of the incredible sacrifice made on our behalf to prepare this place for us. And we overcome those moments and those situations in the hope we have that he has gone before us and prepared this place. He's seen it. He is in it with us. He knows the dangers that exist there. And he's also promised every one of us here today that he has gone on before us to prepare another place for us. So not only every situation you find yourself in today has God gone before you and carefully prepared it, but he has gone on to your future home and he is preparing a place for you there that you may dwell in it. We find hope in this care and provision of a great shepherd who knows exactly what we need and the dangers we will face. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. We've already mentioned in the the making the sheep to lie down, the annoyance that flies and other pests could bring to the sheep, preventing them from laying down. But there is also a different fly known as the nose fly or the nasal fly because it was this irritating fly that would come to the sheep and try and lay eggs in their nose. I know, you're irritated just hearing about it. But these flies would become so irritating to the sheep, and as they laid those eggs that would begin to hatch, it could become so overwhelming for a sheep that they would find sheep banging their heads against the rocks and against the wood. Sheep would even run so chaotically that they would run off of cliffs because of the anxiety, the frustration that these flies would bring. And in their desperate attempt to stop them, sometimes it would take, in extreme cases, even their life. And this is why, at the first sight of these flies, the shepherd would apply this oily ointment to the nose and the head of his sheep. It would be used to deter the flies. It was like a repellent. And almost immediately, a sheep that would have been thrashing around and running like crazy would calm itself down, would would lay and would rest and would remove back to a normal state of being because of this oil placed on its head and its nose. Do you realize we aren't all that different? How quickly the irritations of life get us flustered and thrashing about. All it takes is a couple minutes on the news, a post on social media, traffic on the way to work, a meltdown by your toddler, and all of a sudden we've lost it. Thrashing about, frustrated, banging our heads against the wall, our behavior can become outright embarrassing to those around us. And if we aren't careful, we can get carried away to the point of doing something we may regret forever. But when we allow the great shepherd, through the oil of his Holy Spirit, to calm our frustrations, to dismiss the annoyances, to comfort our minds and once again bring us to that place of peace and rest. It restores our souls. And there's no amount of lacking when it comes to this oil that the Holy Spirit provides for God's people. 
And this wasn't a one-time application to the sheep when there were nasal flies present. Whoa. This was a constant anointing of the sheep, constantly coming back and reapplying an application of this oil. And it's a constant returning to the Lord and not allowing His Holy Spirit to cover us once again, to fill us afresh and anew to baptize us and empower us to face the struggles of that day and the annoyances that will meet us so that we can find peace and rest in the midst of those moments. And what is the psalmist David's summary of all that the great shepherd provides for his sheep? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The conclusion here at the end is this confident assurance. In light of all the ways that the great shepherd cares and provides and protects us and is present in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, that he leads us beside the still waters, he makes us to lie down in green pastures, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, he says, surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. Will valleys come? Will predators arise? Will there be enemies along the road? Absolutely. But with those things coming after me, the other thing that I am confident is always chasing after me is the goodness and the mercy of God. And it's not going to take a break. It will follow me all the days of my life until I get to go to be in the house of the Lord forever. There is no question of the goodness and the mercy of the Lord that shall follow him all the days of his life, nor of his future eternal home in heaven with the Lord. This wasn't spoken by a man who was absent of suffering or difficulty or betrayal or loss, but by a man who had endured all of these things and had seen the faithfulness of his great shepherd in the midst of it all. So that he could be confident beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter what the future held, no matter what difficulty may arise, no matter what the next valley may bring, he knew that with it was coming the goodness and the mercy of God each day. Because his great shepherd remained with his sheep. His great shepherd would never leave or forsake them, and his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Amen. Amen. This morning, as I invite the worship team to come back up, as we close in a response to our great shepherd who cares for his sheep and sing out in worship and thanks in gratitude, because we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And as we saw last week, this is not just a great shepherd who lives and cares for his sheep. This is a great shepherd who would go as far as dying for his sheep to make a way for us to enter into that home that we look forward to with the Lord forever. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if he is not the great shepherd that is guiding and leading your souls, I want to give you an opportunity right now to respond and make that decision so you can declare, as David does in the beginning of this psalm, that it is the Lord that is my shepherd I shall not want. Without Jesus Christ as your great shepherd over your soul, you will always have a want. 
It will never be enough. Nothing in this world can satisfy the hunger and thirst of your soul, and nothing that you do can possibly cover the wages of your sin. Because the wages of sin is death, but it is the gift of God through Christ Jesus our Lord that makes a way. Through Jesus' sacrifice, you can have forgiveness for your sins, and he can shepherd your soul. Is there anybody this morning that needs to make that decision? I would ask you to raise your hand this morning that we might pray for you and lift you up, welcome you into the fold. Anybody this morning? Well, then I trust this morning that as we look upon this great shepherd, you share in that celebration because he is your shepherd. You understand what it means to to experience that contentment that only Christ can bring. And then I would invite you as we close in this song of worship to sing out and celebrate the fact that we have a great shepherd who cares and loves and protects and provides for us sheep no matter where we may find ourselves today. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in this song? I'm going to close this out in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are the great shepherd. Lord, there are many that promise their protection, their provision for our lives, but you are the only one that is faithful to meet that need. It is only you that could truly atone for our sins could redeem us and restore us when we are cast down. And Lord, we celebrate that today. May you be glorified in our lives, in the ways we continue to move forward as you lead us in paths of righteousness. Would it truly be for your name's sake? This morning, you are worthy of our praise. Would you be glorified as we sing out this song? And all God's people said, amen. This morning we celebrate that. That goodness and and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because of our great shepherd. This morning as we close, I want to invite you if there's anything in your life that you need prayer for, there are going to be people up here at the front that would love to pray with you please don't hesitate to continue to go before that great shepherd that he might restore your soul that he might meet you in that valley but as we go this morning would we go confident of that fact the great shepherd goes before us that he is preparing a place for us And wherever we go today, no matter what meets us, what we can be confident of is that his goodness and mercy are following us all the days of our lives. To Jesus be the glory. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great day. We'll see you next week.